You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this next episode of our podcast, uh, The Innovators Behind Disruption. Today, I am joined by a very longtime friend of mine, Dave Abner. Uh, Dave is the current global head of business development at Gemini. And prior to that, Dave and I worked together at Wisdom Tree. Dave worked there a lot longer than I did, but we really got to know each other quite well and have been able to uh, continue the relationship since both of us have moved on. So Dave, thanks for joining us. It's, it's great to be here, Raj. I, I feel like I know you from even before Wisdom Tree days, a long time ago. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, my first time when I came to New York, because obviously I, I was running Canada, you were, you were running Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first time I came to New York to meet everybody, I remember, I won't forget, I came to meet you, you first handed me your book, you signed <laughs> it, and then we went for a lot. I, I think you like walking lunches, don't you? We went for some long walk and I think we might have been eating while we were walking or something like that. And I was like, I like this guy. He's he's different. I do, man. <laughs> I think best when my legs are moving. <laughs> smart, smart. And and most of us don't do enough walking during this pandemic. So it's a smart thing to uh, smart thing to do. Yeah, I feel like I'm bolted to my chair here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't we just kick it off by can you kind of just tell us a little bit about what Gemini does? Because I know most people very plugged into the crypto community are very familiar with Gemini. They may not be familiar with all of Gemini's business lines. So it might be worthwhile for you to just spend a couple minutes and give a quick intro to the firm and, and, and the key business lines. Yeah, sure. Um, you're, you're probably right. People know uh, Gemini in, in sort of compartments, right? They don't realize the breadth of the organization, I think. So it starts out when you think about Gemini as a place to sort of buy, sell, store, and earn cryptocurrencies, right? So they think of Gemini as Gemini Exchange, where you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies. You can, they also think about Gemini as one of the biggest uh, lending vehicles in the industry through our earned product. So people can buy cryptocurrencies and put them in earn and earn a yield on their currencies as well. Um, But we do a lot of different things beyond that, right? So Gemini owns Nifty Gateway. So we have a a very strong um, and sort of close relationship with the the growth of the NFT market, which we may talk about towards the end of this podcast. We are in the process of launching our credit card. It's out to quite a few people already. And it's the only credit card where you get instant rewards in cryptocurrencies so you can you know you i get rewards in ethereum on my card and every time i buy something i instantly get those eth rewards and they start going to work for me so it's a really cool product uh like i said we have earn we run a very big institutional business on the back end as well which people sometimes don't understand which is where we are a service provider to etf issuers or crypto etf issuers so yourselves included at Evolve, but many issuers around the world, everybody that's looking to launch a crypto ETF would use Gemini sort of Gemini inside to power those ETFs, to buy and sell the cryptocurrencies, to store them safely for investors. Because we're um, uh, uh, regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services, we look like many traditional custodians out there that would be for traditional assets. So Gemini is probably the most highly regulated 
firm in the cryptocurrency space. And that's a big reason why we have these businesses where we underlie and power a lot of other businesses. We also run uh, a prime services business that we're building where we're gonna enable people to be able to trade across the crypto ecosystem. And we have, have just started, we announced actually in January, how we are building a business around servicing wealth advisors, RIAs and asset managers, and their entree into the crypto space as well. So we've got a, a wide variety of businesses and uh, it depends who you are. You may only use a segment of Gemini, but uh, we do lots of things for lots of people this way I think about it. Everything crypto native is the way, is the last yeah. And I guess also for a lot of people, they are probably more familiar with the, the founders of Gemini than perhaps they might be familiar with the organization. Obviously, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, uh, the twins that uh, that are very well known in the tech world, are the, uh, the co-founders of uh, Gemini as well. It's absolutely right. And uh, really, a lot of people think of them as the original, you know, the OGs of the crypto space. They were buying Bitcoin and it, before people knew it, and that's knew what it was, and that's really um, that's really where Gemini comes from, right? If you think about when Tyler and Cameron started buying Bitcoin, they really needed there was no solution to safely store their assets. There was no solution to transact with reputable counterparties, and they came from a traditional financial background, and they wanted something that looked and smelled a lot like those sort of traditional businesses and worked with them, but also provided, you know, levels of security designed for the crypto space, which, which is very unique in that sense. And they were here from the very beginning. So it's, it's really cool to work for a firm that they've built and to see it evolving over time and how it's, how it's grown. I mean, the growth has been tremendous. I've been uh, at Gemini now for about 18 months and, uh, uh, I mean, you know, the growth is just astounding in every in every facet of yeah. business. Yeah. So obviously, I'm in the ETF business, but we have crypto ETFs. You you were in the ETF business, but you made a bigger leap than I did. I just launched a crypto ETF. You leaped leapt from being a, a being a pure ETF business to getting very very engaged and, and immersed into. Uh, the crypto world. So why don't you share with everyone what were the what was the reason? I mean, obviously you really like Gemini, but what has it been for you over the last you know five some odd years that's uh, that's generated all this interest in crypto? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, I actually love ETFs, um, and the reason I love ETFs is I actually I I really believe that they are better investing products for investors, right? They're just better than what came before. And to me, Absolutely. that resonated really, really well, right? So I started trading ETFs in the 90s and I was an arbitrage player, right? And I was just sort of capturing the difference between the ETF and the baskets and taking advantage of market anomalies. And as I got to know the products, I really, I realized like, hey, when I left the office, I was just a regular person who is an investor who deserved to get to have the ability to buy a fair and transparent and a liquid investment products. And I was investing in mutual funds and they really weren't, weren't doing what I was looking for. And I realized ETFs were the solution. So I actually switched over to the asset management side to help the ETF industry grow. Right. And I joined wisdom tree was a startup and we built that business. 
and then in uh, 2016, I actually moved out to Europe for Wisdom Tree to build a European business for the firm. It was there that I really discovered Bitcoin. Um, we were very early into Bitcoin in Europe because, first of all, it was a more regulatory friendly place. And they were, you know, people were starting to become interested in Bitcoin in sort of late 2016. And the institutional side, people were starting to talk about it. We were able to launch a Bitcoin ETF for Wisdom Tree in uh, sort of late 20, uh, 2017. I think it might have been early 2018. Was it the first crypto? First in Europe, yeah. it was in Sweden. Yeah. Yes. And so, and, and crypto is really interesting. Once you start reading about it, it, it just pulls you in. Like it, it, it sort of like, it tugs, it sits somewhere in your subconscious and you start learning more and more and you get deeper and deeper. And that's what really happened to me. I, I wasn't thinking about it in 2014, 2015, when Cameron and Tyler were first thinking about a Bitcoin ETF. I was like, mm, it didn't really register. And then, but in 2016, late 2016, 2017, when we started this process of launching the ETF, and I started to get deeper and deeper into it. And we started to do due diligence on the providers. And I learned about the industry and I learned about, it really sort of caught hold of me. And then I was, you know, we went further and I started wanting to do more and more. And I got to know the Gemini, Gemini team at some point. And it just became this natural transition of, I could, I could sort of, help the ETF industry by building a platform at Gemini where we could support ETF issuers. But I could also do sort of what I did in the ETF industry in the crypto space, which was help this industry to grow further. And I thought that was a really compelling thing to be able to do. And then I, and I made the move over. What I see and what I, what I think a lot of people are starting to see is that this is not just to me, it's not just about buying Bitcoin, right? Like, I think this is the beginnings of this real evolution in financial products, mm -hmm. in the way economies work, in the way assets move around the world. And we sort of, there's a lot that we can't even see. We're so early still, even though, you know, like I say, some of the OGs have been doing this for 10 years, but we're still so early in this space that like, we can't even tell what's coming next. But I, I have a lot of ideas I'm happy to talk to you about later. So why is it that you think, you know, the, 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 the use case, the investment case for, let's start with Bitcoin. Uh, why are investors using it? Why are investors, why are advisors using it for clients uh, as well? Give, give the kind of, the, the, the really quick, lots of these points I'm sure people have heard before, but the really quick macro case for, for cryptocurrency. Look, um, first and foremost, one, three, five, and 10-year track records show crypto and Bitcoin as the best performing asset class out there. So mm -hmm. if you're building an investment portfolio and you don't have a crypto strategy that's sitting within it, you're sort of, you're, you're leaving out the best performing asset class that there is available today, right? Add that onto uh, use cases, uh, you know, for Bitcoin in particular, people think of it as an inflation uh, hedge, um, you know, people think of it uh, when they think about Ethereum as building of the, the new internet, Web3, right? And, and things being built on those platforms. Um, so all of those things are additive to me. And I, and I default to this is a growing asset class 
and the best performing asset class over these over any regulated sort of time period, right? Not regulated, but any sort of traditional time period that a fund user would look at or an asset manager would look at, you know, one, three, five, and 10 years are the standards, right? They look for longevity. They look for performance short and long. They see it when they see this. So I think that's where it starts. And what we're what I'm seeing from investors, especially the wealth management community, is that even those using ETFs, they've been sort of underserved in their alt sleeve by the funds that are available. And when they get to crypto ETPs and they can substitute them into their alt sleeve, and like, you know, hedge funds have underperformed for 20 years, right? Like there's, it's a well-known fact. Uh, many other types of investments have underperformed. And then they look at this performance and they're starting to think, well, how do I build this into my overall portfolio? We're even getting to a place where, you know, 60, 40 portfolios that, that it's evolving, right? The portfolio, the management of portfolios and the way we balance them out and the way we think about it, everything is up for grabs right now and everything is changing. And so 60-40 is really at risk as a, even a base starting point. But I think right now they really look at, at crypto and at Bitcoin as a piece of their alt sleeve. And, but it's growing in many ways is the way I would think about it. So most people that follow Bitcoin have been thinking, have been following also the thesis over the last few years that you know, Bitcoin can act as a store of value and Bitcoin is, uh, is potentially an inflation hedge. And now over the last six some odd months, many people feel that that thesis has been tested. Uh, and some people would say that it hasn't passed the test and other people uh, would say that it's done exactly what they expected. So where, what camp are you in and, and, and can you explain why? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm in the camp that you don't test long-term theses thesis with short-term market movement, okay? So if you're talking about, can Bitcoin be a hedge to inflation? Inflation happens in 20 year increments, right? Like we haven't seen inflation since the eighties. So that's 40 years ago, okay? So you don't look at like six months of Bitcoin performance and say, ah, it's highly correlated to equities. It's not a good inflation hedge. And, and then assume that everything was wrong, right? Like those, those two things don't match. So I would look at, you know, the only way you're going to be able to assess whether Bitcoin was a good inflation hedge based on the theories of its scarcity, right? It can, no more can be issued once uh, the 21 million are available or, or are out. Um, and once that happens, it, it, I mean, then, you know, once we go through this cycle, then we'll be able to look back and assess whether it's a good or a bad inflation hedge, right? So I don't look at, I do see, I see what people are saying. Oh, Bitcoin is highly correlated to the equity markets today. Uh, and I, 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 you can't deny that, right? And mm -hmm. it's actually being used as a risk asset, a risk on asset where people are using it to add volatility to their portfolio. Mm -hmm. But again, six month timeframes, even one year timeframes don't fit into the discussion about inflation, right? Inflation happens in long, slow waves. And I think these are blips. I think, I think everything during major event, major market events, almost all correlations head towards one, right? People are looking for liquidity in their portfolios. The easiest things to sell are this. I also think we're so early in investments in Bitcoin that 
many of the current users are traders, right? Like it always starts with the faster money investors or the faster money traders, like hedge funds, crypto hedge funds, you know. So you would expect to see them using Bitcoin as an inflation, as a sorry, as a as a volatility play or as a liquid risk on type asset right now. But I think over time you'll start to see that if the theories are correct, right? And I mean, a few of them are indisputable that this will be a longer term hedge against inflation and a valuable place for people to be storing their money. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at the US and, you know, we've printed, I, th- I don't know the exact numbers, right? What did they say? 50% of all cash was printed in the US in the last three years or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's crazy. You, you can't assess the impact of that just because we're seeing, you know, first quarter inflation at a high level. We don't know where that's going yet. This stuff takes years to flow through the system. And, and what I've learned, if anything, in, by being in this market for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going on 30 years in finance, is that money moves a lot more slowly than you would imagine it to. Right. When you're in the industry, everything feels like it's going really fast, but investors, real people, and, they, and their movements of money happens really slowly over time. So I think that's the thing where we're still too early to be able to really tell that yet. Are you finding that the adoption um, is changing in, the, in terms of, you know, when we launched our ETF, I mean, as you know, you get very little transparency into uh, who's using your ETF, but you can... You can, you can triangulate data sometimes and say, okay, that looks like it's retail direct investors and that probably is investment advisors. And sometimes you'll know a little bit about institutional. But here for us, <clears throat> um, we've had some fund of funds using our, our funds. We've had a lot of direct investors. So do-it-yourselfers. Uh, very little advisors uh, in Canada have been using. In fact, I think I can only think of maybe a handful of advisors I've spoken to over the last year since we launched ours that have decided to put crypto ETFs into their models, uh, uh, their model portfolios. Is it, and obviously, you know, we've got the uh, the ETFs tied to spot, can't use the word physical, but tied to spot, and, uh, and you guys have them tied to futures. Are, are you seeing I guess my question is, are you seeing a, a, any change in adoption from different investor types? And then I've got a follow-up question, but I'll let you answer that uh, first. Sure. So uh, I definitely am seeing a change. I think 2021 was a landmark year for the industry. And again, it's, it's only hard to see that you know, a few years out, but I think we'll look back at 2021 as being this changing environment and institutions, you know, we, we were, Gemini is funny, right? We sit at the nexus of a lot of different pieces of the industry. And so we are a first stop for institutional investors trying to learn about the industry, in particular. Mm-hmm. not retail also, or direct investors also, but institutions know the name. We have a big brand. They definitely come to us in their exploratory phases and we're inundated, right? Like you could take the the keypads off our phones because we never actually have to make an outgoing phone call. We have so many incoming phone calls that we have to to do, uh, to answer. And it's a a blessing, but it really shows the way the industry is changing. And that doesn't necessarily mean money is moving yet, right? So there's there's a huge learning curve and implementation phase for institutions 
where they, the, the, you know, you may get the leadership team saying, you know what, we need to get crypto, we need to include it in our portfolios. And that creates a chain reaction, right? You then need to educate legal, compliance, operations, needs to figure out how it works, how you move fiat, you, you know, all of that stuff is really difficult for institutions. And so they need to get, they need to sort of get up the curve. On the advisory platforms, in the advisory space, I think of it as, as sort of bifurcated, right? There are sort of RIAs who can who really have a lot more independence in how and what assets mm-hmm. they add, and they look like family offices. And I think I see them as the first adopters into the crypto products, and they can move quickly. And those are the people that we see using the products now, both using uh, you, you know ETPs like your funds, and also but also coming directly to Gemini and using our Bit RIA, our Bitria platform. Um, and then next you'll see the bigger platforms come on. Right now, I can tell you the bigger platforms, they're all working on how do they implement, right? What do we do? How do we incorporate? How do we think about it? How do we move money? How do we reflect to investors? Who produces statements? What happens with taxes? All of these things are considerations for these big platforms, which they need to figure out before they can give the thumbs up approval to actually even do their first Bitcoin investment or their crypto investment. I see all of that coming very quickly, but I do see... Even now, right? Gemini bought uh, Bitria, which is a, a a sort of portfolio management layer for advisors. And I mean, we're just we're signing up advisors in droves to use this platform. I can't tell you what's going on. Mm. It's off the hook. So, so my follow up to that is, you know, I was recently having a conversation with a few uh, with a few well versed crypto people, and you know, we were talking about the. Uh, the obstacles to uh, current adoption, and and you may have more, but the two most common that you know we were talking about was uh, first regulation, you know, potential regulation of of crypto uh, by various governments, including yours, obviously in the U.S. Uh, but to me, the biggest obstacle has actually been the volatility uh, of crypto, meaning that. You know, I've I've watched Michael Saylor speak, and I think is I love his line, which is that if you don't want volatility, then 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 keep your money in cash. Guess how much you're going to make off of your cash, zero or negative. Or same with you know traditional fixed income. Completely get that point. But when you're talking to institutional investors and the volatility, I mean, we've had what two drawdowns of fifty percent in the last twelve months, something like that. When you have that kind of volatility. I'm pretty sure it scares away retail investment advisors, not necessarily retail investors, but retail investment advisors um, from using the products. And I think it probably, you know, gets institutional investors to perhaps stay on the sidelines a little bit longer because they're just they're not sure that they want to have such a volatile asset class in their um, in their in their portfolios. So what do you think? I'm surprised to hear that um, yeah. because I think institutions really, you know, they, they institutions are the professionals, right? They know how to manage volatility as part of sure. a portfolio. And we talked about portfolio construction, right? And where, where cryptocurrencies fit. And it, it's just a piece of your overall portfolio, right? And I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned like Michael Saylor and things like that. I think stable coins um, are actually becoming a bigger and bigger piece of, uh, crypto and portfolios in general as well. So in the U.S., I look at stablecoins and I think about 
treasuries, right? People mm-hmm. hold cash or they hold treasuries and they're making nothing. And even, even if the Fed, you know, raises rates eight times this year, they're still going to be making 2%. And stable coins, the demand for stable coins in the crypto space to be able to move money across markets is extremely high. Like mm-hmm. you, can get, uh, you can get 8% on the Gemini dollar in earn generally. Uh, you can, there are other stable coins pay high yields and they have no volatility, right? They're all backed one for one. Mm-hmm. Many of them are backed one for one by, by cash in the bank. So that's a whole new way to think about building portfolios that didn't even exist a few years ago. Then there's the volatile piece where you would just cut your exposure and manage your volatility. So I find, I find volatility not to be the cause, right? It's all about balancing your positions. I, sure. I, I cannot think of an institutional investor that would shy away from volatility. I mean, look what's going on in, in many traditional assets, like the, you know, the meme stocks, AMC, uh, GameStop, like look at the volatility in traditional, in some of these traditional, traditional stocks, look at commodities, what's going on with oil and nickel, mm-hmm. right? Volatility is something that is actually good for investors and good for the markets. So I don't, I don't see institutions shying away. I do think if you go back to your first point, regulatory clarity is, is the key. Right. If you're an institutional investor of any sort, an advisor, a larger institution, you need to understand the framework for regulations that you're going to be investing your clients money into. Right. Fiduciary duty starts with understanding what you're investing in, understanding its regulatory framework. Is this, you know, you need regulatory clarity. The U.S. is making what I consider now to be great strides, but behind the curve on crypto regulation, right? Like the, the, new, the, new, uh, the new order, uh, presidential order will help that. We will hopefully catch up. Um, I agree with the theory that the US doesn't need to be a leader. We need to be right, right? We're so big, such a big market. We yeah. don't need to be first, right? We need to go, we need to be meticulous. And I think that's what's happening, right? Um, so I'm not concerned about it. But I think it's the regulation is what's holding uh, uh, institutions back. Um, I I don't think it's uh, driven by uh, volatility whatsoever. So, and I think volatility over time will continue as we get more liquidity and, you know, volatility will continue to decrease anyway. So I'm not so worried about it. I think that that's, I think that's right as well. Agreed. Um, So we're going to start wrapping things up. I thought maybe we could end with you kind of, providing everyone what your view is in terms of where the three, four, knowing you, you might want to give five growth opportunities are or growth drivers are for crypto over the next few years. Sure. Look, um, I'll give you two or three. I I really think stable coins are so, so interesting, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest problem with like, you didn't ask me this, but what's the biggest problem with crypto is actually moving from traditional fiat into the crypto space, right? It's really hard to yeah. move money into the space originally. It's really easy mm-hmm. to sign up for a Gemini account. Then mm-hmm. you have to transfer money in, you have to wire it in, mm-hmm. and it takes two days for that wire to clear. Many wire processes charge an expensive fee. It's mm-hmm. expensive, right? So, but once the money's in, into the crypto space, nobody, it's, it's like almost like Hotel California. Nobody ever wants to leave, right? Right. Because there's so much you can do with your money within the space. You can buy volatile assets 
like you know traditional like DeFi tokens or or even Bitcoin and Ethereum. You can buy stable coins and, and earn yield. You can there's this whole world of investing products, right? I think I think for the moment today, stable coins and stable coin investment is underappreciated still. So it's the chart is um, is growing rapidly, but we haven't seen that hockey stick move moment yet in assets and stable coins. And I really think that's coming, right? I really do think, and this is my next point is it's not just stable coins. I actually think crypto is what people are like, well, what, what is crypto gonna disrupt? What, what will be the biggest disruptive piece of the economy or what will happen? Um, I actually think the fixed income markets are where, where crypto is going to have the biggest impact. Hmm. And, okay. That, right. The way people borrow and lend, the way the crypto, the, the traditional fixed income markets, they're, they're still broken, right? Like they are broken. There's like, broken. they're opaque, they're yeah. illiquid, they're, they're expensive. And mm-hmm. crypto makes every facet of that better, right? Imagine peer to peer lending. Um, from institutions to institutions, institutions being able to issue debt directly to investors, uh, you know, with products that trade 24 seven all the time, Mm. right? There's liquidity, there's clarity, transparency, all of this stuff would be better for the fixed income world. And Mm -hmm. I think that's coming. And I think it's actually starting with stable coins, right? Like, and high yields replacing money markets uh, is going to be a big, big next step. So I think that is going to be this big space. There's a lot of things in there, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that I think is coming, right? NFTs are big. People are talking about it. I think it's hard to see what's coming there. It's hard to see the use cases yet. It's, I mean, it's fascinating what, how creative people are and what's going to happen. Um, but I think, I really do think this huge financial product change will be, will be happening in the fixed income markets. The ETF, interestingly enough, the ETF market, you know, they've been trying to sort of disrupt fixed income for 15 years since the first uh, uh, fixed income ETF was launched in 2005 or six. And they've got a trillion dollars, a trillion and a half dollars in assets. It's a, it's a big number, but it doesn't, it pales in comparison to what yes. is yeah. the size of the yeah. fixed income markets, right? So I think there's a real opportunity to improve those markets. I also Interesting. Think we're, uh, lastly, I think we're moving yeah. to the world of um, 24-7 trading, right? And instantaneous mm-hmm. settlement, like like T plus two settlement and me getting home from work and not being able to trade in a real, in a market that's open because I have a day job. Th- those days are over, you know? Like people want to trade when they get home from work with markets that trade, right? Like, and I think those are two big things that are coming to the world and it will just bridge this gap between why do the financial markets have to operate differently than my Amazon account or everything else I'm doing? You know, uh, I think those two things are coming. So great. That's it. Well, always a pleasure, Dave. Look forward to uh, seeing you uh, on a patio this summer in person. And uh, thanks a lot uh, for your time. And thanks everyone for tuning in. You have been listening to the innovators behind disruption a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated, be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at evolveetfs.com.